Elias D here. This is the second last episode of season one. If you'd like to listen to episode 25, our season finale, along with cast, crew, and fans, it will be premiering on YouTube on Friday, September 3rd at 9am Pacific Time. You'll be able to find it on our YouTube channel, Metal Steve Productions, or through links posted to our social media and in the Discord. Hope to see you there! As always, thanks for supporting us. One last note before we get to the main event, this episode does cover some pretty heavy topics, including some discussion of suicide. Please prioritize your mental health, whatever that means for you. Now, on to episode 24, Deep Blue Water. On behalf of the Station Arcadia team, a big thank you to our patrons, Claws of Fenrir, Antigone Brickman, Nata the Ninja, Bronwyn, N13E86, Carolee Rose, Azana, Malekstrom Hansen, HH, and Noel. Welcome. Hi. Welcome, anyone. You are listening to Station Arcadia. Broadcasting. Yes, that... Yes, that's what I'm going to do now. Right. Okay. Sorry, I'm, uh, I'm at a bit of a low frame rate. Today, the rest of the people here, um, at, at the station, my friends, uh, decided to throw me a birthday party. Lysol told Joe and Zed that people in Telsoria don't have birthdays, so they decided to celebrate the day I came to the station. That was one year ago today. I appreciated the gesture. I, I mean, of course I did, but it's just that my arrival here wasn't a happy occasion. So I was already having a bad day, having a lot of you know, bad memories, but then they all surprised me and expected me to, you know, like, be happy and excited, and it was just a lot. It was a lot. Um, I mean, it's not their fault. They, they didn't know. It's fine. I'm fine. Let's just go to some live audio to start this off. How was it looking? Not great. I mean, really bad. We've long since lost our lead, and with Hyacinth hammering the topic so hard, the gap has only been growing. Did the public statement we issued do anything? For a little bit, but it didn't last long. We'd need a story just as big as hers to offset it, and with election night tomorrow, we'd be hard-pressed to find one. But I'm sure there's something we can do. We still have time. Sorry. We can hit the pavement and go door-to-door, really showing off how committed you are to the very end. I'm sure one of the networks that Hyacinth went to would love to have you on for your opinion on the matter, even if it's just for views. Now the important thing is just that you have to control the conversation. If if you have to twist their questions to avoid answering to Hyacinth again, so be it. Soren, it's over. No, no, it isn't over, because there hasn't even been a single ballot cast yet. You still have a stronghold in Island 8, so maybe if we play into that we'll be able to salvage this. Even if there were enough people- Support isn't as strong in Island 4, but they're still leaning towards you, so we can easily tip the scale back in our favor and then move- I'm going on a walk. We need to keep talking about our plan! I need a break, Soren. 
Don't follow me. Well, that's... That didn't improve my mood. <laughs> but Soren is right. The voting hasn't even started. They could still turn it around, and, you know, there's nothing I can do about it in any case. What I can do is tell you a story. Asan woke up early in the morning with a long day ahead of her. Vi began her day with a warm mug of tea, then checked the to-do list on her small fridge. Today, her main task was to embark on a journey to restock fabrics. See, Asan ran a small tailoring company, catering to the specific needs of those who lived in and around Island Nine. Of course, you could find other places that sold waterproof wading pants or sturdy, tall boots, but Asan had the upper hand on these other sellers, as V lived in and knew the environment her customers were dealing with. With Verd do list in mind, V began to plan for day. Asan and her particular lifestyle were nearly exclusive to Island Nine, living on a boat, that is, not being a tailor. This style of living was common among Island Nine locals due to the unique climate and culture of the southernmost Gannon Isle. Unlike the rest of the islands, what people called Island Nine was really a series of smaller, swampy islands close enough in climate and space that people referred to them as one thing. Some residents lived in floating or raised housing on the swamp-covered islands themselves, but many more lived on movable houseboats. When the Gannon Islanders had returned to the islands over 60 years ago, some seafarers had chosen to stay on their boats, preferring it to a purely sedentary lifestyle. The culture and way of living on the Island Nine archipelago developed from there, and is now vibrant, friendly, and changeable if slightly incomprehensible to the rest of the Gannon Islands. Asan was a perfect example of an Island Nine native, eclectic, friendly to a fault, and in love with the ocean. Asan prepared to leave her house after eating a full breakfast and revising her checklist. We started up her boat and began to maneuver through the swampy isles, waving hello to those that V passed. While boarding near one of the smaller isles, V noticed a flare going up, and decided to stop and investigate. Asan put on her waders to walk through the shallow waters and climbed over the side of her boat. V rushed over to the site of the commotion and noticed the stilts of someone's house were beginning to buckle. It didn't seem like there was much time to get the stilts repaired before the house and everything inside would fall into the murky water. Luckily, the house was in shallow water, so it wouldn't sink much, but the flooding and damage to the foundation could be very costly to repair. V saw the homeowner frantically trying to repair the stilts, nailing scrap wood and whatever else she could find from her surroundings to the weak points, trying to get them to hold. Asan told her that V would be right back, that V were going to try and get more help. V waited as fast as V could to some of the nearby boats and houses, informing the residents of the crisis occurring. All of them understood the severity of the issue and grabbed whatever they could to try and help. There was a collective rush to find spare wood of all kinds, 
and any patching material that would withstand the water of the swamp. Soon there were seven people by the house, all assisting one another in a quick repair of the stilts. Wooden planks and bamboo shoots got attached to the previous stilts with various types of adhesive to reinforce the structure. It wasn't easy work, but everyone had seen what could go wrong when an issue like this went unfixed. It could leave a person's life in ruin. The stilts would need to be replaced in what would be a long, laborious, and often expensive process, but a quick fix like this could hold for a few days at least. Once Hassan and the others had done all they could, the homeowner thanked them for all their help and asked if there was anything, anything at all, she could give them to show her thanks. Everyone, including Hassan, declined the offer of gifts and monetary payment. They all understood that when someone is in a crisis, you help, regardless of whether or not there's a reward at the end. In spite of this, the homeowner sent them on their way with small packages of watercress she had harvested the day before. It was the least she could do, she said, to supply the people who helped her with something to eat. The small crowd dispersed, saying their goodbyes and your welcomes before returning to their homes. Happy with the repair, but now behind schedule for the day, Isan bid the homeowner farewell and got back on her boat hanging up for waders to dry as Bee started the boat back up and carried on maneuvering out of the swamps of Island Nine. As Island Nine was the southernmost island, Isan would need to safely navigate their way across the Tomtu Ocean over the course of the next few days and find their way to the docks of Island Three. It was a trip V had made many times, but it still made Ver a bit nervous, as a portion of it was through open water. Hassan didn't enjoy the trip, but V knew better than to let her nerves take control. Luckily, the weather was fair and the waters were smooth. The first day of travel was in sheltered water through the southern Ganon Pass, and Hassan enjoyed the beautiful views of Island Six's forests. The trees were lush with new spring leaves, and seabirds flew overhead. V regretted not being able to take more time to enjoy the scenery, but it was already a long journey even in a boat equipped with top-of-the-line Ganon technology. It was getting dark by the time Hassan came to Island 5, so V decided to dock for the night in Demetria before carrying on the next morning. V steered towards the city's dockyard and was surprised to see a volunteer patrol boat flagging Ver down, lights flashing. V cut the engines, pulled down the boarding deck, and waited as it pulled alongside Ver. The captain of the patrol boat climbed aboard and flashed an apologetic smile. He explained that, in light of the recent Imperial attack, Demetria's council had ordered a search of all incoming boats prior to docking. Privately, Hassan thought that made as much sense as whales in a river. Even if the attack had been a coordinated effort, which V wasn't sure about, Island 5 was sheltered from the Empire mainland by Island 4, and was an unlikely target. Still, V allowed the man to do a quick search, and they chatted about the weather while he worked. V invited the patrol boat crew to stay for dinner, but for offer was declined. Hassan noticed the captain looked a bit haggard, and suspected his workload had increased significantly since the incident on Island 6. Once cleared to dock, Hassan made herself a quick supper, watching the latest episode of her favorite television show and headed to bed.
V was once again thankful to have her entire house with Burr on the boat. There was no need to find a room for the night on shore or pack a suitcase of belongings when taking a trip across the islands. Deep breaths. Deep breaths, Axel. In and out. It'll be okay. It'll be okay. Axel, it's funny you should- What in the name of the Benevolent Bay are you doing in my office? Well, that was rather rude, wasn't it? That is classified information for my campaign! You can't just- How long have you been doing this? Oh, don't get so worked up about it. I only did it this once and it was because I was curious. Oh, curious enough to commit a crime, then? In so many words, yes. What happened to you? Pardon? When did you start hating me so much? We used to be friends, and now you're rifling through my desk for what? Your mom's approval? You're reading far too much into the situation. I... People change, Axel. It's not my fault that you can't seem to recognize that. Shut up, Asphodel! I thought we were past the- Stop talking! I am sick of you and your mother twisting words like you always do. You and your mother are poison. Just like that stupid dam of yours. I mean, I can't believe I still have to deal with that at this point in the campaign. We debunked it at the very beginning and somehow you've still manipulated people into thinking it's a viable option. It's disgusting that you can keep hurting people over and over with no promise of stopping and the best explanation that you can give me is people change well guess what asphodel i'm not gonna let you get away with it if it takes me to my final breath you and hyacinth are going to pay for the damage you've done to our people and the land we live on and if that starts with reporting you for espionage come morning so be it out of my office. Leave! You can't. What? Make us pay, that is. You're in no position to make any sort of threat to us. Maybe if you were, for example, the premier, you'd be able to. But the numbers don't lie. Our lead has been steady ever since the little interview you had. You need nothing short of some benevolent spirits taking pity on you to win at this point, and even then you might need more help. It's over, Axel. Look, I'm sorry. I really am, but you should have known from the start that this was inevitable. Leave, Asphodel. You did well, for what you were given. I'm sure my mother would be happy to hire you. This is the worst day. I think this day might be cursed. I don't know what day of the year I was actually born, but maybe it was this one. It would be fitting, I think. A miserable day for a miserable life. No, that's not true. That's not true at all. I'm, I'm happy enough here most of the time. 
and I was pretty happy until Soria too, all things considered. Right up until... Well, today's... It, um, it's just hard. It brings up a lot of bad memories, and I probably would have saved myself some grief if I'd communicated that to my friends ahead of time. Better late than ever, I guess. I know they listen to my broadcasts. Listeners, if you're out there, just, um, stand by for a moment. I can't say this face to face, so this one's for you guys. Lysel, Zed, Joe. I've always been pretty vague about how I came to find the station, because it's not a pleasant story, and it's, it, it's difficult for me to talk about. But you may have noticed that I don't own a boat. A year ago, um, a year ago today, I tried to kill myself. My life had gone to shit. My girlfriend had just died. Our plans crashed and burned. It was entirely my fault. Then I lost my bionics and I, yeah, I felt hopeless. Like a hit rock bottom. So I took a train to the ocean and just walked in. I tried to drown myself. <laughs> Clearly, Arcadia had other plans for me because, well, I washed up here. You know the rest. After a few days of stumbling around by myself, Marvin showed up and helped me adjust to life without my bionics and living on Arcadia. So, uh, yeah. Now you know why it's... why this day isn't one I want to celebrate. Sorry for ruining your birthday surprise. And sorry I, I just left without explaining what was wrong. I'm gonna try to keep going here. I don't want to walk out halfway through the story. Of course, with today's luck, the Empire will launch a full attack on the Ganon Islands, and I'll have to report on it live. <sighs> the next morning, Asan continued on her way to Island 3. This leg of the journey took Ver through more open waters, so V had to stay alert as we traveled. As the day wore on, Asan realized there were only half as many boats on the ocean as there had been the last time V'd made this trip. V wasn't sure what to make of it. Once V came to Island 3, Asan quickly found her way to the docks of Maneri. Asan was quite familiar with the city of Maneri due to her frequent visits since the start of her tailoring business. We were able to find her way to the bustling fashion district and began to scan her shopping list. Today was a big shopping day, as V was running low on most of her fabrics. Asan checked her favorite shops first, the ones V knew would have what V needed. Slowly but surely, V made her way through her checklist. As V checked off item after item, her bag slowly began to fill. 
Isan was always happy to spend the day on Island 3, but Maneru seemed more subdued than usual. On top of the usual chatter, people argued about election candidates, talked in hushed whispers about rumors of imperial plots, and kept their children closer than normal. Isan hadn't realized the threat of the Empire would be so present in everyone's minds. They knew some of the Island Nine elders still had concerns, but most of Asan's friends had written off the incident as a tragic outlier, a side effect of the Empire's aggression and nothing more. All the worrying on Island Three made Ver uneasy, but V tried to focus on gathering supplies. By the time V had made her way to the bottom of her long list, it was beginning to get dark out, and the shops around Ver had begun to close. Normally, V would just head back to her boat and turn in for the night, ready to sail come daybreak. But then V remembered that a close friend and fellow merchant, Orla, worked and lived only a couple streets over. It had been a long time since V had gotten a chance to see them, and there was no harm in saying hello. V quickly rushed over to where they usually were, hoping they hadn't already closed up for the night. Luckily, they were still there selling assorted snacks from their small cart. Asan ran up to Orla and greeted them warmly. They were confused but happy to see her, and offered a hug. Asan explained the long day V had had. Orla offered for Ver to stay at their place for the night, and said that V could sleep on the couch. Asan gratefully accepted, and sat with Orla until they closed their cart for the night. The two of them walked back to Orla's apartment, with them pushing the cart and Asan carrying her bags of fabrics. The next morning, Asan began the journey back to Island Nine. Overall, V had enjoyed taking a bit of a break from her day-to-day rhythm, but V was eager to get back home. V knew Island Nine had an odd reputation among some of the other islands. People described the residents as strange but nice, their architecture as quaint, and loudly declared how they admired the residents of Island Nine, but they themselves could never live in a swamp of all places, or on a small boat. People enjoyed vacationing there, but they rarely stuck around. Asan found that V were the opposite. Whenever V left for a few days, V always returned with a heightened appreciation for her home. It may not be what most Scandinavian islanders were used to, but it was as natural as breathing for Asan and the other Island Nine residents, and V wouldn't trade it for the world. That was... that was nice. I suppose I was catastrophizing a bit earlier, huh? Listeners, I'm sorry for... Uh, come in? Hey. Hey, Zed, um, I'm on the air right now. Yeah, well, we heard your broadcast, uh, including the bit where where you talked about how you ended up here, and I guess I just wanted to say sorry. I wasn't in the best place either when I ended up here, so I guess we shouldn't have assumed. We're not upset at you for running off or anything. Oh. Um, thank you. We, we fixed the cake. It doesn't say happy birthday anymore. It's just an everyday cake, or maybe a Casper sorry for making your bad day worse cake. Oh, uh, nice. Well, I wouldn't want it to go to waste. Maybe we can, uh, maybe we can share it? 
Right. Uh, sure. We both know Joe would kill us for eating in the booth, so let me sign off first. Rules are made to be broken. That's all for today, listeners. Stay safe, stay moving, and stick close. You've been listening to Station Arcadia. Arcadia is a podcast by Metal Steve Productions and licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International License. It is produced by Eli SD and CVVM and directed by Tova Brantner. Today's episode contained take selection by Eli SD, soundscaping by J.R. Steele, and music by Theo Goodwin. It was written by CVVM with scenes by Tova Brantner and J.R. Steele. It featured Jade Virginia as Cass, Ray Cameron as Axel Moore, Akash S. as Soren, Tova Brantner as Asphodel, and Tizzy Trusler as Zed. Join us on Twitter and Tumblr at Station Arcadia for more content. Join us on Discord to chat with other fans using the link in the description. Check out our website, stationarcadia.com, for a transcript of this episode as well as information on the cast and crew. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to our Patreon. Today's song to have a crisis to is Kids by the band Pup. <sighs> Alrighty then. Just have to wait until Agent May gets back. That shouldn't be too hard, right? <laughs> Uh it's so boring here. There's gotta be something for me to do, right? Let me just... Huh. This wasn't here before. I think I've seen this code before. I'll have to give it to Phoebe. She might be able to... I don't know. I know there's something wrong with this town, Rose. Of course I do. Not just the people, but... Well... Some days, I step outside and it feels like there's something lurking right beneath my feet. As if the ground is just waiting for the opportunity to swallow me whole. Though, can I be honest? I think that same thing is what's keeping me here. Maybe... Maybe it's because I know how much you'd love it. Even with its weird quirks. Rose... I... Wait, there's... It's... It's a photograph of... Oh, God, I don't know what it... Dude, It looks like hey, it should be turn a that off. All right, all right! Jeez, sorry! Whatever it was sounds like it could be important, though, right? I mean, it wasn't there before. We can worry about that later. We have a job to do. Oh, we have a job to do. <laughs> yeah, all right, fine. Let's go. The Heart of Ether is a mystery and horror podcast made by Three-Eyed Frog Presents. Stop by the quaint forest town of Dotlower, Washington every other Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Stay safe out there.